Amen. Thank you, Jennifer. If you've got your Bibles, uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 1 through 5 this morning. If you're relatively new to Presbyterianism, many things about the church may also be new to you. Why we worship the way we do. What are elders? What do they do? Deacons, what do they do? What's the difference between them? What's my role in this body? All good questions. One of the duties of every member is to look for and nominate men who are qualified for the offices of elder and deacon. Here at Redeemer, we designate every February as Nominations Month, and we ask those among us to look out among them and find men qualified and nominate them. We normally have a sermon teaching around the uh, qualifications of those elders, which you can find in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. I would encourage you to read those qualifications as you consider those among us that you may consider nominating. However, without listing individual qualifications, in our text this morning, the Apostle Peter addresses elders directly and gives us some insight into the character and the heart of both elders and deacons. So turn with me now in your copy of the Scriptures to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll read the first five verses, ask God's blessing, and begin this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do thank you and love you. And we pray, Lord, that you may enlighten our hearts just a little on your heart and love for those who shepherd us and take care of us and how we should honor them. In Christ's name, amen. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. It was the late 90s when I and my family moved to Texas and shortly after became a new Presbyterian. As everything was new, I was excited. Lisa and the kids, not so much, but we'll leave that for another sermon. As I was reading and learning about Presbyterian particulars and doctrine, our pastor told me about a new book that had been written and he had just finished and thought that I would benefit by reading that book. This is the book. 
It's called The Church by Edmund Clowney, former president of Westminster Seminary. And I devoured this book. I've read it at least three times since. And I had several aha moments as I was reading this book. And I highly recommend it to you if you've not read it. But it was on page 206 that I had an aha moment that has never left me. Let me read just one line of Dr. Clowney for you. While chosen and recognized by the people, church elders received their authority through the Holy Spirit who called them, endued them, and appointed them for their service. And here's the line. Service, not power or prestige, is the purpose of church officers. Did you get it? Let me read it again. Service, not power or prestige, is the purpose of church officers. And then he says, and all believers alike. That statement may be commonplace to you now. But I assure you, it wasn't commonplace to me some 24, 25 years ago, whatever it is now. Pastors to me were powerful. They were the head of the church. Elders and deacons, although a position, in my experience to that point, were kind of like sidekicks doing the pastor's bidding. I was actually a deacon once in my life in a church, and as a young man for a time, I remember our deacons' meetings being little more than the pastor making plans and delegating assignments to us to carry out his vision. Dr. Clowney, through his magnificent artistry of weaving a biblical theology of the church from Genesis through Revelation, rocked my world. This has stuck with me for 20 years, and his line on page 26 could literally be pulled from our text from Peter this morning. So there it is. I'm giving you the punchline. You know the sermon. There's nothing else. Hear it again. Service, not power or prestige, is the purpose of church officers as it is every member. As I read those words from Dr. Clowney so many years ago, I had no idea how true and life-changing they would be. And hopefully they'll mean a little to you this morning as we go through and look at the text that Peter is preaching to his people and the Lord to us this morning. So we'll look at this text under two headings, two exhortations this morning. First and primary, an exhortation to the elders among us in verses 1 through 4. Secondly, we'll look at a short exhortation to the rest of us in chapter 5. Before we get into chapter 5, just a brief background and context of where we're at in 1 Peter. Peter really has only two themes in the five chapters of the book of 1 Peter. Only two. The first theme is holy living in a world gone mad. Can we relate to that? Absolutely. And theme number two, it's natural cousin. It follows all the time. Theme number two is hope in the midst of suffering. Martin Luther called this letter 
one of the grandest in the New Testament. Why? Luther goes on to say that this is very easy, this book. It's simply Peter writing to other Peters, other converted heathen like he was. He exhorting them to hold each other up under all kinds of suffering, encouraging them to stay faithful and continue faithful service to our Lord and each other. Peter sets up our text at the end of chapter 4 by saying this. Look at uh, the last verse in chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Wow. He's exhorting them to do exactly what the gospel has led them to. And it's not a matter of when or if, but when, if, but when you suffer, you're not alone. God has not left you alone. As a matter of fact, the suffering here is God's will for your life. And what are we to do and what did they do? They entrusted their souls to that creator while never stopping doing good. So we pick it, our text up right from here, the exhortation to the elders in verse one through four of chapter five. Verse one, so I exhort the elders among you. There's no mistaking, brothers and sisters, who Paul is speaking to here at the beginning of our text. To the elders among you, I, I exhort. The word Paul uses for elder here is familiar to all of you, even though you may not know it. The word is presbyteros, where we get elder and Presbyterian. That's why we have the word. We are an elder-driven church. So he's addressing elders and pastors directly. We know he's not simply addressing older people in the congregation because he also uses the word shepherd in verse 2, tying them together. Although we'll see Paul's words practically are applicable to all of us, brothers and sisters, make no mistake, it's to the elders directly that he's addressing here. So, are there any current elders live streaming here? Are there any future elders live streaming? It's time to seriously tune in now. A couple of things, though, about these elders first. First, they're not any elders. They're the elders that are among you. They're not random elders. They are your elders. They are my elders. They are the elders that are among us. We know them by name or we need to. Secondly, they are elders, plural. This shouldn't surprise us. Whenever we see elders mentioned in the context of a local church in the New Testament, it constantly refers to a plurality of elders in the local church, not one super-sainted elder running the show. Listen to a few passages. Acts chapter 14, verse 23, they ordained elders in every church. Acts chapter 20, in Ephesians, Paul, uh, in Ephesus, Paul calls for the elders of the church. Philippians 1, to all the saints in Philippi with the elders and deacon. Philippi, singular, elders and deacons, plural. Titus chapter 1, to the elders in every city. 1 Thessalonians 5, 
to those, plural, who admonish you. And finally, James 5, to name just a few, are there sick among you? Call for the elders, plural, of the church, singular, to anoint you with oil. Peter is addressing normal, everyday believers who have elders assigned to them. They belong to each other. They know each other. They are among each other. Continuing with verse 1, to the elders among you, I exhort. This word here is to strongly beg, to plead with, to implore. There's also an aspect of asking one to come aside or along with you, calling for help and a need for help. This context can't be any clearer, brothers and sisters. Here's what Peter is saying. As we've seen, Peter has just identified believers in Christ to be just like himself, fellow Peters, that have been saved, passed from death to life, born again, repented, and turned away from a sinful lifestyle to serve this living God. They are those who are now in pain and suffering. He ends chapter 4 with the words that we've read. And in chapter 5, he turns to his fellow elders and says, These people need you. They are yours. You are theirs. Now listen to me. I need your help. I'm exhorting you. Back to verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partaker in the glory that will be revealed. So much here. Let's really digest what he's saying. It's true that one of the most amazing and powerful explanations of what an elder is is right here. It's theologically rich it's, and practical. Peter says, I am exhorting you elders as a fellow elder. You are all fellow Peter's saved like me, turned from your sinful lifestyle, but I am just a fellow elder with you. Let that sink in, elders. Let that sink in, church. I mean, really sink in. Listen, this is the Apostle Peter, chosen by Jesus Christ himself, one of the 12, lived with Jesus for three years, ate with him, slept with him, walked on water with him saw the transfiguration of his Lord. That's the glory he mentions here in verse one. He saw Moses and Elijah too and talked with them. The first, uh, the first Lord's Supper that ever happened, he took the elements from Jesus' hand. Jesus gave Peter the keys of the kingdom. He was with Jesus the night he was arrested. And you know, we're quick to criticize Peter. Would you have had the courage with armed guards coming to arrest Jesus, pulling out your own sword? He more than pulled it out. He used it and cut off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant. And of course, remember Jesus healing that. He saw the scourge, the scourge of his Lord, the whips. He saw him suffer. He saw the crucifixion personally. He ran to the tomb but before he ran to that tomb, he had denied him three times, as the Lord said he would. He ate fish with a resurrected Christ on the shore. He watched him ascend back up. He waited at Jerusalem, as the Lord told him to, to the day of Pentecost, when those tongues of fire fell on his head, and he preached and won 5,000 souls to Christ in one day. 
He was given apostolic signs. He healed bones, blind eyes, and he even raised a little girl from the dead. Who is he? He's just a fellow elder. Dear brother elders in the PCA, Peter is simply one of you. Fellow church members, do you realize that your elders, your fellow elders, are elders with the apostle Peter? As it turns out, there's an apostolic succession after all. It's just that the apostolic succession is from Peter down, and it's simple ruling and teaching elders in a church. There's no pope in sight. All the ramifications of this, if we really believe Peter's words, fellow elders, how could we look at our calling the same way? Peter has just said, I'm just Peter. I was reminded this week when I saw our bylaws that my dear friend Brian Early was one of our first trustees. He's still on, the bylaw, on our bylaws. Brian is the youngest son of Mary Margaret and Ross Early. They usually sit. It's almost where our brother too is. I remember we lived next to Brian and Kim early for a number of years. It was a glorious time. And their oldest boy, Ross, named after our Ross Early, used to pop into our house all the time, unannounced. It was a running joke in our house. It still is after all these years. And little Ross would come in, open the door, and it didn't matter what we were doing. I mean, we could, we could be having a family fight, a family meal, a family crisis. It didn't matter. He opened the door. Hey, it's me, Ross. Okay, Ross, <laughs> thanks for coming in. But this is what Peter's saying. It's just me, Peter. I'm a fellow elder. He's going to exhort you now, brothers. Does he have your attention? I was hoping he would. Let's hear what Peter is exhorting you to do. Let's look at verse two. He exhorts you to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Oh, elder, you realize it's your God's choice to oversee and shepherd these people? This is, of course, a two-way street, isn't it? Oh, how we need you to do the job and how we need the rest of us to love and follow you. You say, well, what about deacons? Well, this applies to deacons, and let me show you how. Did you notice during the exhortation of Peter to the elders, it has only two verbs? And these verbs really, really say what we do as officers. The two verbs are really shepherd and serve. Now, we see exercising oversight, but many versions have serving as oversight, overseers. The phrase is just one verb. We are to shepherd and we are to serve. That's what both of our bodies do. However, it's not only what to do, Peter does, uh, uh, informs us on in verse 2. He not only gives us the what, he gives it the how to as well. Look at verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Peter ends this how-to officer instruction 
with three adverbial modifiers, each positively and negatively stated. Let's mention these real quickly as we go through the text. Pair number one. How are you to serve officers? You are to serve not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Peter is saying here, elder and deacon, you shouldn't be forced or compelled to do your service, be a guilt trip or anything else. He's saying that the elder should not occupy the office as a reluctant draftee going to, ta- to a task he simply can't get out of. The compelling needs to be both internally from the Lord and externally from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul's first list of qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 says that if a man desires the office of an elder, he desires a right and good thing. Brothers, this is a calling from the heart. Do you desire this work, brothers? Do you love the work? Those of you that have positions now, are the meetings work and drudgery or do you do them willingly and lovingly? He doesn't want you to do it under compulsion. He wants you to do it willingly as God would have you. Pair number two, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Peter warns again here concerning the internal motivation of the elders and deacons. The elder cannot do the work of being motivated by greed or money. Where love of gain is the motivation, the elder pastor is just a mere hireling, feeding themselves at the expense of the people. On the positive side, the elder must do his work eagerly. I think of Paul's admonition in 1 Corinthians 19.16 to me personally here. He says, I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. The last four years, sitting with brothers who are called to preach the word, I will tell you, there's very little we think of other than this. I was given this assignment to preach weeks ago. I wake up in the middle of the night. Oh, should I say it this way? Oh, Lord, will you please bless your people in this? And then... I'm totally lost. I don't know what to do. And you struggle back and forth. But it's a calling. Every man I know called to the pulpit ministry is like that. Lovingly, excited, motivated, simply put, passionate. Not for what they can get out of it. You know, the King James here calls it filthy lucre. Money and riches from an impure motive. Future deacons and elders, trust me, With Stuart's eagle eye on our accounts, it's not a possibility anyway. (laughs) If you are nominated, go through officer's training, you will know if you're eager for this work, and you'll also know if the timing is right. Peter says, be willing and eager. And finally, the pair three, he says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Peter is warning here for a simple misuse of power, heavy-handedness, ulterior motives, lording it over God's people. May it never be so. This is manifest in the need to dominate and control. 
We've seen it, and I could tell you story after story. We instinctively know the difference between loving care and heavy-handedness and control. Incidentally, normally that heavy-handedness, at least in my experience, is never over the big things. It'll be over the controversy or secondary matters. The example here Paul is alluding to is simple, humble, and sacrificial service. What an example. Peter was addressing hurting and suffering church, and it's a concern for them that he has has compelled him to ask the elders to simply serve, protect, and love the people. Now, why why is Peter so obsessed with this? And he certainly seems obsessed. Listen to the words of John chapter 21, the last time we have recorded that Jesus talks to Peter. Look what he says. John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Pastor, elders, deacons, future elders, future deacons, future pastors, our Lord is obsessed that his sheep are well-fed and taken care of. Will you do it? Are you doing it? Will you be faithful? I can speak to you from 22 years as an elder and exactly, exactly two months as a pastor. This work is hard. You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be misrepresented. You'll make mistakes. You'll make decisions that ultimately were the right ones and some that you'll end up regretting. You will fail and you will be discouraged. And sometimes it will seem like the only thing that the sheep in your care do are three things that all sheep do. They eat, they bleat, and they excrete. And your job is to feed, listen to, and clean up for them. That's your job. You are the physical, and listen to this, you are the physical touch of the Lord to his own. Just like Peter, you are feeding, watering, taking care of, and loving Christ's sheep, and your reward, like your chief shepherd, is coming. Take a look at verse 4. <clears throat> he says, <clears throat> And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That term, chief shepherd, it only appears in the scriptures one time. 
right here. He's called the great shepherd of the sheep in Hebrews 13. Peter, earlier in chapter 2, calls him the shepherd and overseer of our souls. But this special designation, and Peter's intent can't be missed here, the under-shepherd's connection with the chief shepherd is unique, and there's literally nothing like it in the world. The chief shepherd appoints his under-shepherds. Finally, we come to Peter's quick exhortation to the rest of us in verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility, one toward another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here's Peter's exhortation to the rest of us. We can't be distracted by the younger there, thinking that he's only talking to young people. It's simply uh, a term for new. We could say, likewise, you that are new to the faith, or new members, be subject to the elders. It may not come natural for you, and it doesn't. Peter is saying with an emphasis, particularly those of you who are new. He then explains the general principle that ties everything in the passage together, returning his exhortation for the elders to shepherd and serve. He admonishes all of us, just as Dr. Clowney pointed out on page 206, all are to serve and be in submission to each other. Because in general terms, this reflects God's will for his people. Why? Because he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. The humility toward one another is the direct context of this shepherding and the care of the sheep. Peter is saying here that it goes both ways, and it does. How about you, RPC church member? Do you really look at your pastors, elders, and deacons as holding positions that are crucial to your life and spiritual well-being? Do you regularly pray for them? Do you really appreciate them? Do you go out of your way to make them know how much you love them and thank God for them? Do you freely submit to their leadership even when you may disagree? Do you encourage those among you that teach and preach? Do you prepare to listen to them just as if you were preparing to listen to the very words of your Savior? Members of Redeemer, brothers and sisters, I want you to listen to the words of a note I got this week from one of you. It was a rough week. We're here live streaming, and that was not an easy decision for your elders to make. I can tell you it was difficult, and many of us didn't sleep after leaving the Zoom meeting where this decision was made, yet we felt it was the right thing to do. This is a letter I got from a, one of us that disagreed. Well, I think it illustrates perfectly this passage of Scripture, this sermon, and the last week at Redeemer. Trust me, the last thing I wanted, nor was expecting, was to be preaching to a camera and Derek too, only. <laughs> I guess we've got Jennifer here and a couple of us. I wasn't expecting it, and neither were you. But listen to what I received. Hi, Mark. And I just put pleasantries. doesn't matter. 
I have to tell you, I'm sick at heart and couldn't sleep last night. I have made three pages of notes thinking about whether worship should be and or should have been canceled at Redeemer. They go on to tell me some valid reasons why they're disappointed at the decision that the elders made to close for two weeks. Yet they end with this. I would like to write a letter to the session, but right now I'm wondering, how may I be of service to the church? I believe that's the heart that makes the Lord smile. I believe it's the heart of Peter's plea in our text. As we begin to close, I just want to share two overwhelming thoughts or takeaways from this amazing passage of Scripture from our fellow elder. It's just Peter. First, our marching orders are clear, brothers and sisters. Our individual roles, our individual circumstances and responsibilities will change from time to time. There are some watching right now on this live stream that were voting members of sessions in the past, maybe even here. There are former pastors, former deacons, and there are undoubtedly future pastors, elders, and deacons watching too. Whether we're currently called to lead or to follow, our marching orders from Peter are identical. We are to serve and love the Lord Jesus Christ and serve and love each other with hearts that are quick to submit, quick to forgive, and wrapped in humility. If you don't take anything else away from this sermon, if you don't remember anything else, that's okay. Remember this. Whoever you decide to nominate for a position of leadership in this church, above everything else, make sure that that person loves Jesus Christ with a pure heart and exudes humility. If you take nothing else away, take that away. Second and finally, it's the Lord Jesus Christ himself that has set the example for us, hasn't he? And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, Brothers and sisters, it's all about him. It's not about us. We are his creation. He has sought us. He has saved us. He has called us into community and fellowship together. He has called us to submit and love one another. He is the head of the church. He's given us elders and deacons to love and shepherd us until he comes back. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, why you would love a group like this is beyond us. Yet you do, and you forgive us time and time and time again. Yet we're stubborn, yet we complain, yet we like to feed 
and eat and bleat and excrete. It's what we do. Father, we thank you for those among us that you've called to shepherd us. I pray for our current elders and deacons. I thank you for them. I pray that their, their mind and their heart are, will be set on first serving you and loving and serving your people here. And I pray for the new group that may be nominated. I pray for those looking for someone to nominate or think about. Father, will you help us and will you draw the right people to service and leadership at Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen.